Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals for another one talking about Steins Gate. This time it's episodes, oh my gosh, is it 13, 14? 15, 16. 15, 16. We are humming right along. Okay, mm-hmm. very cool. Um, as always, I'm your host, Alex. Hey, this is Blixa. Uh, and we are missing Ben today, but we have a fabulous new host, a really good friend of Blixa's, and uh, uh, an emerging friend of my own. Uh, please welcome Izzy. Hi. <laughs> and Izzy is staying up late. Uh, she's across the pond in the UK to make this work with us. So we really appreciate her. Also, Izzy has gone above and beyond and provided our outline to us today, which is the first for Pen Pen Pals, a a guest provided outline. So we we just really appreciate her going Uh above and beyond, you know? Yeah. A Pen Pen Pals first. And it is your first time on the show. So unfortunately we got to put the spotlight on you and we got to check out what is your history with anime? Are there any formative works to you? Uh, anything that sticks out? Is this the first series you've ever watched? What's up? Um, I was really into anime when I was quite young. It's not so I've not really been into it for a while now. I've not really watched any anime for a, like quite a while, but like back in the day, I had like a friend in America who sent me rips of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Mm. That was my first that was my first anime. And like from then, like I got um like watched Helsing. Mm. Um of oh, Vandroid as well. That's kind of like a one that I don't think a lot of people have watched. Um Martian Success in Adesco. Mm. So I've watched a few, quite a few things. I've got like a few on like DVD and stuff, but like it's been such a long time. It's been kind of nostalgic for me to be watching some anime again. And it's been weird because like, because it's like subtitles, which I used to watch subtitles before, but back then mobile phones weren't like a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I've like suddenly found myself having to like discipline myself to watch it. Oh yeah. Which like my my like my knowledge of like the first few episodes is probably really dismal because like I'm constantly just like looking at my phone and then mm-hmm. like, oh no, I can't read the, the subtitles. You know, and like there's no distraction like that when I was first watching anime, but now there is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a massive test for me. Uh I have to confess, I am right there with you, Izzy. And I that just I think it's my ADHD. Yeah, it's hard. I really miss, uh, uh, I haven't gone to like a movie theater in so long because of COVID. And I like really miss that experience because Mm. the theater of it or the ceremony of going to a place and Mm. sitting in a special room was enough for my brain to go, okay, pay attention to the screen and what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so big, it's all encompassing. And now like I watch most of my movies just on the TV and like, I love the movie. I really want to pay attention to it, but I think everyone uh, listening can probably uh, sympathize with like, well, my phone's right there and someone just texted me and it's just going to take a second. Yeah. Yeah. That's just it. Like sometimes I'm not even like looking at anything. I'm just like picking up the phone because it's just a habit. Mm -hmm. And like, it really makes, it makes you think like, oh my God, this is like kind of cancerous, this thing that I've got like in my life. (laughs) It's just sapping all of my attention. It is. And it's like when you compare how you used to be, I used to be able to watch anime just like back to back and like no problem. Now it's like I have to discipline myself mm-hmm. to do it. I have to have a certain kind of energy to do it. Well, we're glad to rope you back in and make you pay attention to something. Uh, <laughs> and maybe that's a gift that, excuse me, uh, subtitled anime and subtitled other things can give to us because it 
demands that level of uh, uh, attention. Yeah. I don't know what to do about phones because I don't think they're going away. So we got to we got to figure out better habits with them. Yeah. If I'm watching something with someone, I'll pay attention and the phone usually won't be a distraction for me. Well, that's just it. Like if it's something I'm like, that is that is important to me. Like the, the June, recent June film is I absolutely adore it. So mm-hmm. if I ever I share that with anyone and they're like looking at their phone, I'll be like, the hell are you doing? Why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Show some respect. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to have some fun watching and discussing this. Uh, is this, have you watched uh, uh, Steins Gate before or is this your first experience with it? Well, I've watched the episodes leading up to this. Right, right, like, right. Like but the, you hadn't like watched the, it previously. I'd, I'd never even heard of it before Blix uh, mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So it's one more person that we've got to watch it just by doing it. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, so let's check in. Uh, Blix, anything anything new in your life? Anything we should be excited about? Um, Nothing I can share on the air. <laughs> but, okay, <laughs> fair. Uh, I will say that uh, I sought out Izzy as a guest because she has... She's a Whovian. She's got like a vast knowledge of Doctor Who and like oh, our main okay. character Okabe has like, you know, David Tennant vibes to him. Which d- number doctor was David Tennant? He was 10. Well, also there's more to that answer. Oh, is it because there's a missing doctor because of the war doctor? No, it's it, but it's spoilers. So I can't tell oh, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. Well, if there's not anything else, then I'm going to do this last time on, and then we're going to watch the first episode, and then we're going to have a great time. Excellent. Last time on Hyoween's Homura Histrionics, <laughs> newly inducted magical girl Okabe used his time manipulating powers to set up a Groundhog Day loop in order to save this series' Madoka. But no matter where Okabe hid Mayuri, Moika and the Rounders found them and reenacted Walpurgis Knock over and over again. After suffering in the Buddhist hell of solitary failure, Okabe made a breakthrough in trusting Makise. He told her the truth, and the truth set him free from the video game-like cycle of death and reset. After one more quantum leap, Okabe convinced past Makise of the danger CERN posed, and Suzuha bought in as the third player to round out their breaking and entering party. Before outing herself as John Teeter, Suzuha then explained that in trying to save Mayuri, they aren't just fighting CERN, but the stubborn nature of reality itself. So who is Beryl Teeter? What compels Moika to kill Mayuri? What elusive person or force is FB? Let's find out. All right. Three, two, one, click. Maybe this is why I always answer my phone as on speakerphone now. Because I'm afraid that a future me is going to supplant my consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> I've got call screening on mine now. Yeah. <laughs> you could just like find out it's me. <laughs> Would you answer if it said future Izzy? Izzy, it's Izzy. No. I'd be like, no, just send me a text. <laughs> oh, I think I just figured something out. What? Like the gimmick of the technology. Like, Cellular signals are microwave signals. Oh, are they? It's very like low hertz or whatever. But then like, I guess the idea is if it's powered with a microwave, it's like really high wattage. <laughs> mm. Is that why my sperm count is so low? Yeah, like, that's why. <laughs> okay, all right. Your sperm are in the future now. Ooh. <laughs>
I don't, I don't want them to do anything. <laughs> I just want I'll, them to... I'll have future sperm supplanted your present day sperm. Yeah. <laughs> just don't answer the phone with your crotch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good band name. Future sperm. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you, you said as we came out of that, Blixa, uh, this is what makes this show special. What makes this show special, Blixa? Like the characters are, well, I mean, maybe Suzuha already had this in her, but like people are communicating better, yeah. expressing yes. themselves. And like, it's the stuff that makes friendships and attachments and closeness. If you happen to have a lonely life, this is like a really appealing thing. <laughs> Just like your chosen family. And like, it also seems like this is the way it always is that, you know, you find your tribe or your family uh, just through strange circumstances. You know, you don't go to like the friend shop, and, like have your circle <laughs> of friends. We can't invent friends. No, no, yeah, you're right. And it's funny because the only context we see them in is all together. But most, if not all of these characters would be loners without this group, right? Mm -hmm. Kurisu says... In America, I have lots of colleagues, but none of them are my friends because yeah. they're all just cold and stiff. Daru can connect with people online really easily, but in person has a lot of difficulty getting past his own pervy, jokey self-defense mechanism, stuff like that. Even what's her name? Like Mayuri, you know, I think she could make friends really easily, but also she might be in danger of making the wrong kinds of friends, like friends who do not have her best interests at heart. You know, we, we only see them in this context, but this group is very good for all of them. They're very lucky to be with each other. Mm. And Suzuha, who this episode is very much about, she's the, the quintessential loner in our, in her story, right? Yeah. Like in the future, she's ostracized from society because she doesn't want to bow down to CERN. And then in the future, the support structure that gets her the time machine to go back, she never even meets any of them. She's going off like faith that the thing works, that she's going to meet them in the past. That And even then, she deviates from the mission given to her. She's just supposed to go back to 1975. And instead she says, well... I want to meet the people I'm doing this for. Like I'm supposed to be doing this for humanity, but I really want to meet the people that set this up to see if they're worth saving. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love this show. I think this is what I liked about Darling and the Franks too. I don't know what you call it. Just this ensemble of characters and like their chemistry is so interesting. Yeah. And uh, it's a little slow going, you know, we made a bunch of comments in the first half of the show saying like, man, I can't believe this is 24 episodes or whatever it is. I feel like we should be humming along much quicker than this. Yeah. But they're taking the time to establish these relationships and give you a lot of pathos to make the stakes more real when when Moika comes in with a fucking gun and really makes everything set off. But you're right. Like it, it like Darling in the Franks, we are seeing very real changes in these people. They're starting to trust each other mm -hmm. on, uh, from different angles and on different levels, obviously. Yeah. So like with Suzuha, the change is coming through revealing who she really is. But Okabe and Makise, 
God, the two of them, their characters have grown so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping they're on the way to, especially Okabe, I hope he's on the way to, to growing even more because he started to trust Makise and, and Suzuha. Mm-hmm. Suzuha kind of out of necessity in this episode and the last, but he's still not quite there. It took him time to like bring Mayuri and Daru in on it, even though they're lab members too. Mm-hmm. And he still is not being honest with Mayuri. He hasn't been like, hey, Miuri, I saw you die. I saw you die a thousand times or whatever. Like, I can't let that happen. And so because he doesn't want to freak her out, he doesn't want her to worry. But again, that's just part of being in a relationship is like being honest with each other. And if the other person worries, then they worry. And like, that's just an expression of how much they care. That is a it's a tricky thing, like this sort of unspoken social contract. Mm hmm. Uh, cause sometimes like the important people in your life, there are hard things that have to be said and you could like justify it by like trying to spare their feelings or something. Mm-hmm. But that choice like inherently creates distance. A hundred percent. And it prioritizes oh. your own choices, your own executive function over theirs. Cause you know, like we all deal with bad stuff, how we deal with it, but it's not really my place to shield you. I mean, there are relationships in which that does happen. Parent and child, Mm, teacher and student, that kind of a thing. But when you're friends, when you're supposed to be equals, you know, we all make our own choices. We all make our own mistakes sometimes, but like we, it, it, if you're supposed to be on the same level, it's really not your decision to shield someone from the truth of what's Mm. happening. Don't think Akabi sees himself as on the same level as everyone else, though. Mm, I I think you're right. I think he is still operating in this fantasy realm, uh, even though like CERN being labeled as the evil organization has made everything much more real to him. I think you're right. I think on some level, he's still operating as the leader or the the papa, the dad of the group. Mm. And maybe that's what I'm looking for in Okabe. I'm looking for that massive change in him where he realizes that him and Mayuri are in this together. Yeah, it's like, like a few moments where he's like had um, some some grounding, but mm-hmm. like it's not like, I don't think it's like stayed. It's only been like moments where he's like been going through emotional pressure or whatever, where he's just like, oh, actually maybe I should treat this person as an equal, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, outside of that, he puts back on the facade. Yeah. So I I do want to say one thing in defense of Okabe, like he has the reading Steiner ability. Yes. And that kind of sets him apart from, well, like the rest of humanity, but specifically his friends, because now he has memories of them that never happened. Mm -hmm. It's got to be alienating, you know, like, with my partner, like I had a significant life experience that was very unique and it does create a distance as supportive as they want to be. Um, it's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a lot of that in the next episode. Uh, and also like, that's a big lesson on leadership, right? Like leadership sometimes is knowing the things that it's hard for other people to know or making decisions based off the extra information that you have. And we're going to see like in 
like I said, I don't want to get to it before we get to it, but in the next episode, there's going to be a very special moment. And then afterwards, it will still exist, but only within Okabe's memory. And and that's like the pain of, you know, going on, the pain of leaving your comrades or their happiness behind for the sake of the world or something like that. Like that is the, the lesson of being a leader here, I think. Mm. Now I feel bad for Okabe. Well, but that's, yes, we can feel bad for Okabe. We can feel bad for anyone who is a true leader because like, you know, there's the hackneyed phrase of like, anyone who seeks out leadership, you wouldn't want them as a leader, right? Mm -hmm. It's like they have alternate motives. Like a really good leader is someone who doesn't really want to be, but is willing to shoulder that burden. Like they rise to the occasion. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, it's because of there is kind of a destiny. And it's it's kind of cool because we're seeing that it's not just CERN, the evil organization that they are working against. They're also working against the dynamic of time travel within this world. Like they can't just send a text message and make everything better. They have to navigate that and tr- and keep trying new things because the universe wants to self-correct itself. It wants its own continuity to to maintain. And so they have to kind of be clever and circumvent that continuity so that things stay in place as much as possible, but they get the outcome they're looking for. Shall we see what happens? Sure. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts? Did you have any favorite parts of this episode, Izzy, or any any thoughts thus far on the series? How do you feel about any of these characters? Does anybody... Uh, uh, poke out at you is extra special um it's a good question like i think it, it it works as an ensemble piece i think in terms of like the characters agree like the way they bounce the way they all bounce off each other so i wouldn't say any one in particular stands out i mean akabi's the nearest thing to a protagonist i guess mm-hmm. what do you think of okabe um a little bit of a douche um, <laughs> um yeah okay but also kind of lovable in a way, you know. I think he's still on his journey, and I think the biggest changes in him are yet to come. He's yeah, he's like I say, he's had some moments where he's like been brought a bit more down to earth and actually shows a lot more humanity, I think. Mm. Maybe that's why I like Okabe. I'm a little bit of a douche and I'm still on my journey. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think that at all. Well, you're also a little bit of a a, a leader, you know? Mm. And and some of that is, I don't want to say out of necessity, but like it, whatever I want to say tastes like that. Like you understand what it's like to be an outsider. You understand what it's like to be overlooked or disrespected. And so you take that experience and you say for other people, no, I'm not going to let that happen. And, you know, sometimes that that comes with like, overstepping a boundary Mm. or coming at something with too much enthusiasm, but you also uh, correct when that happens. And we, I think Okabe is Mm. learning to do the same thing. Um, You know, he's learning to make the, the mad scientist thing work for him and his friends, as opposed to, you know, we've seen it alienate people. And, Mm. and I think he's, he's getting better at that. Yeah. So I I think what really jumps out at me that, that I relate to there. It's like, I have a lot of friends that ask me, why do I go into these debate spaces like on TikTok, you know, getting exposed to like so much hate speech, transphobia, and 
my answer is usually that because I can take it, like I'm privileged in that way that I've have like a higher emotional budget or threshold mm-hmm. to do those kind of things that I think a lot of my trans friends, they could do it, but I think it would be too emotionally costly for them. Right. I hope that doesn't sound too arrogant. No, I mean, that sounds like a leadership position, you know, like I'm in a position where I can do these things so that someone else can see it done and hopefully it has a positive impact on them. And they didn't have to go through the the low grade trauma of getting yelled at online. I'm Mm. willing to do that. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Sorry. Thank you. I I really like what we got out of that. Sorry to derail us, but yeah, we can do the second episode Mm -hmm. 16. Mm -hmm. Okay. I am ready when you sacrificial necrosis. If everyone's ready, I will begin the countdown. Three, two, one, click. Oh my God. Hmm. The hourglass moved. And I bet her watch isn't broken either. Okay. So I think this is the first time we, we've seen the number move around a lot, but I think this is the first time we saw it go back up. So I think this is a turning point in the series, right? Mm. Okabe's learning that he kind of had a regression curve. I was hoping you you had something to say about this, Blixa, because he had this epiphany where he let Makise and Daru in, you know, leveled with them and, and, and uh, brought everybody in on the project. And then... He still wasn't able to let um, Mayuri know like why he was so obsessed with mm-hmm. uh, uh, this latest or or with what they were doing. Um, and obviously it's to save her. But he brought everybody in. They were working together. And then the outcome of fixing the time machine and and getting Suzuha back on her journey to 1975, it didn't work out the way he wanted. And so I feel like he kind of had this regression curve. You know, he had the epiphany, but then he lost a little bit of that progress and he did something reflexively, spur of the moment, without consulting the rest of the the lab, um, which is hard to see, but it does make sense psychologically. Yeah, I think that's like his default reaction. And it was a reaction, not a response, a grief reaction. Mm. I was, was going to say, just he seems like a very emotive, emotion-driven individual. Very much so. Uh, I'm coming around on Okabe. I'm continuing to come around on Okabe. And, and you know, maybe that's one of the big strengths of the series is that I care about not only the progress that Okabe has, but I also care about the regresses he has. Like, they frustrate me. And that's less of a sign of a bad show or a bad character and more a sign of a good character. Yeah. (laughs) What was that? What the hell? (laughs) Oh, I think we're hearing just part of Ben's uh, audio. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) You're fine. Uh, you're announcing to the audience that you have arrived and you are with us for this part of the discussion. It sounded like you were speaking in tongues. Yeah, <laughs> that was trippy. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to listen to it a little faster to catch up. Well, we appreciate everyone's efforts to be here. Thank you for joining us, Ben. That's fucking awesome. Sorry. Uh, no, really. I'm, I really mean it. Like, it's just wonderful. You know, like, God damn, this episode more than any in the past, have shown us the the potential misery of missed connections and the just miracle of being with each other at a specific place and time. You know, like how 
not everything can happen and and the things that do happen we should just be very thankful for them and and i don't know glory in in the time that we have with each other mm-hmm. and it was a father daughter episode yeah yeah like of a father who has not yet had this built relationship with his daughter ben <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, do, what, what do you guys think of the reveal of daru being the father was it like very obvious at this point did they like signpost it too obviously or did you think it was a surprise when it happened um yeah i mean the daru taru thing i thought that was pretty obvious when they when that came out and then like the observations about their hair and eye color yeah yeah a couple episodes back uh sophie was able to not having seen the rest of the series was able to cr- correctly predict that daru was suzuha's father mm-hmm. uh, i guess like the obvious thing would be it being okabe's daughter somehow mm-hmm. so you know do you like that it wasn't that yeah that's kind of why it's changed i have to admit well i didn't think it would be okabe's daughter because I was shipping Okabe and Ruka and mm. like maybe they could adopt or something. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know this for sure yet, but we saw at the end of this episode, this is the first time that the world divergence number went back up. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, th- I think th- it has hinted to us already that we've made a number of jumps away from the alpha, the original world line they were on. And I think the the world line going up by erasing that meeting with between Daru and Suzuha, it's a little foreboding because I think some of the miracles that we have had, the wishes we've had granted, I think some of those are going to have to go away in order for us to achieve that escape velocity of getting the numbers back up, up, up past the 1.0 line. Mm. So like that kind of has social significance to me because uh, mm. you can have a goal that is very difficult to reach and there's a lot of opportunities to compromise as you get close to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, you know, in some ways this is like a monkey paw story, mm-hmm. but it's not the wisher that has the negative impact, right? It's like mm. this indirect negative impact. It's like, you know, almost like an externality or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, a monkey paw where potentially like you can undo your your wish, which I guess I guess that's in a lot of those stories, right? You make the bad wish and then it's a good for a while. And then you get to this point where you regret your wish and then you do something and you kind of like undo it mm. and go back to the way things were. Yeah. Um, It's the paw of a time monkey. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I haven't read the actual monkey's paw story in a while, but if I remember correctly, the moral is kind of that you get this glimpse into what you think you want, and then you are a changed and better person at the end of the story because you looked at it, you regretted what you could have had or used to have, and then you come to terms with it, right? It's kind of a, a grief cycle story. Ah, so you just said something that touches on where my mind was already going. You're talking about you have to change. So I think that the divergence number, it's correlating with how much Okabe changes. I think Ah. for them to finally hit that 1.0, that Okabe himself has to change as a person 
and then they'll do something mm. and then the outcome will be different. Yeah. So maybe that's the ultimate moral is that like we wish we could change the world and let, you know, to go back in time. But what we really need is is to change ourselves, right? Because mm. the other thing is not an actual possibility. We're not going to create a time machine. So we instead need to change so that we can deal with the pain of the past. How a lot of trauma processing works too. Yeah. Okay. It's real sad though. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Cause like there is this wonderful moment between Daru and Suzuha. Yeah. And we don't want that to be erased. And on a minuscule level, it isn't because Okabe still remembers it. So like, even if it's only in data or in someone's mind, somewhere in the universe, that moment still exists. Mm. But the people who are most affected by that moment, they don't have access to it anymore. And I, I am impressed by kind of the, I guess it's just dramatic irony, but kind of the art magic of that in that Okabe is our lens into this world because he has the reading Steiner and we also get to experience the different timelines and remember them. So like the Suzuha Daru moment, it exists within all of us because we witnessed it. Yeah. I think that's a very poetic way of looking at it, but mm -hmm. I think that still means that it didn't happen. Like, like if it didn't happen for the people who experienced it, then it in any in any mini meaningful way, it didn't really happen. It's just a story now. Mm. Yeah, I guess if you think about it, for like further out, like I don't know, once they die, then they don't have the memories of it having happened, but it still happened, or kind of you know like. Once you lose that conscious memory connection, it might as well not have happened. I don't know. It's, I think there's like, like we'll find possibly find out more about this when we learn more about the metaphysics of how time works here, because yeah. it does seem to be like kind of mystical, like an element of it where it's like time has an idea of how it should be. Mm -hmm. Like it like keeps a balance book or something. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't think time travel would really work like that. Yeah, with this weird like attractor lines that these sort of faded things have to happen, that sort of thing you mean? Well, I'm just like if, like if you saved someone back in time, that would just create like another branch. I think that would like just be that would be another type of future that you would create where there's just another person alive. Mm -hmm. Like I don't I don't think there'd be like a like a like it has to keep a balanced book of like who's alive and who's dead and all the rest of it. We're all star stuff anyway. <laughs> I don't remember what it was you were saying, Ben. We were talking about the memories. I, I feel like that's a, a question in philosophy, like existence versus essence. Like, are you your memories or is there some essential part of you that is Ben? Like, would you be yeah. Ben even if you didn't have your memories, like your character and that kind of stuff? Yeah, and there's like the... You know, there's this sort of, I think therefore I am like, you know, the only, you know, you only really know that you're conscious, solipsistic thing. Then the extreme version of that is like, well, what if you didn't actually have your life and like you were just put into your consciousness right now at this very moment and all of the memories were like added in there, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's no, there's no way of really not knowing that, even though it feels like. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel you. That's an existential 
problem or an existential pain, I, I feel very deeply. And like, I'm fascinated by stories that deal with it because that idea of someone tampering with my memories or like me mm. being put into a reality that I think I've been in the whole time, like that very much bothers me because I don't think there's a way that I as a conscious individual could circumvent it, get around it, you know? And so it could be happening like the Mandela effect. Like we could be jumping world lines all the time. I never fucking know. <laughs> I always say like the, the approach that like, like there's a, a billion or infinite number of like alternate like versions of reality that we can imagine that like a conceivable, like we're all in a matrix machine or sure. we're all in a dream or whatever else. All of which I think are on some level possible, but like, to be to live a sane existence, you have to just kind of operate with what you have, like if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, like whatever we can sense, whatever we can process, even if it is a dream, it's our reality. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we may as well roll with it, sort of thing. Well, this did remind me of this interesting thing. I did an internship at a, uh, re a retirement facility, and um, we worked with a lot of dementia patients. And you know, I talked to one of the directors about it, and he said like. Some of them, they lose so much of their memory and their personality changes. And a lot of them don't. Like a lot of them are just like sweet little butterflies, whether they remember their past or not. I was like, what does that mean? It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard a lot of like um, when people start losing their memory, like people often become either very sedate or very angry. Those tend to be the two extremes that people go down. I mean, that makes sense. You either like rage against it or you accept and you're like, well, I can't rely on that anymore. So I'm still here yeah. for the ride. So my my father has got um, dementia at the moment. Well, well he's got dementia. Ooh. So like he's he's kind of like the more sedate version oh. where he's just he's just very friendly, like all the time. I think that's probably the better way. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't like him to be suffering. Sorry if I took us down a dark path there. <laughs> no, sorry. That was we can we can talk about genocide or something if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So about Palestine. Yeah, that's <laughs> happening right now. But this is a dark episode. Mm -hmm. Um, like this is it's all happy. They get the machine running, and then reality is very stubborn, and it says you can't get out by going further in the way you think you're going. You have to reverse course. Uh, and like it's sending her suzuha back with a fixed time machine it's not what they thought it would be not what okabe wanted so, so do you think that's that's like the constraints of fate is like that's why she got that amnesia and yeah i think so you know the the glitch but it's just yeah that's not fate says no that's not a a way out of this do you think it's something conscious doing that or do you think it's just the rules of the universe? Well, I mean, diegetically, I don't think there's an answer, but like poetically, it's the author. The author, a very conscious thing is making those decisions. Yeah. It's the God of the universe, the right. Yeah. But like what, what version do you think he's, he's going down? I mean, I think this is ultimately going to be about regret and grief. You know, it's easy to lose sight of it because we haven't returned to it. But in the first episode, Makise dies. Mm -hmm. And I think that the rest of the show is in a way going to amount to a grief cycle for Okabe of this person that he never got to meet, that he never got to know. And as we see in these other versions of the world where she doesn't die on that day, uh, Okabe and her 
establish quite a relationship. You know, it's not always smooth, but they see some, they recognize each other's humanity. Uh, they maybe even have feelings for each other. Yeah. And I think that that's what it's going to come down to is Okabe learning to move forward as opposed to being stuck in the past. Yeah. So I think I agree with Alex here. Um, what you just said sort of changed the way I see the story now. I mean, when I think about a lot of time travel stories, it seems like it all like spins around uh, grief and loss, but specifically bargaining and denial. And when I think about our main characters, like Miori has this terrible loss and like this role play thing, that's not processing your grief and loss. That's denial. Uh, and, and in some ways, yeah. Okabe's role in there is bargaining. And now Okabe's in this position, you know, where he's facing all kinds of losses on the regular now. And it's always his mind always goes to like fix it. You know, and like, he's like in denial and bargaining with fate. Mm -hmm. And I hope I'm wrong because that would suggest a sad ending. <laughs> but, but I guess he can't just accept fate because we know that in the far future, that's bad, right? Like, like it's not just about accepting. He does have to sort of use the figure out how to use the time travel to change fate in a good way to avoid disaster right the cernian future okay yeah that makes sense and in fact if i remember right i think that sort of does become a question of like yeah we know the future seems bad but like do we have any guarantee that messing with the future will make it better and you know we don't really Right. Maybe as bad as it is, maybe that's the best possible future. The rest is like the human race nukes itself into oblivion and there's no evil organizations because there's no humans. Maybe that's the ethically good choice. <laughs> Authoritarianism is the ethically good choice. Damn it. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe the uh, apocalypse is the ethically good oh, choice. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe people are the wrong dominant species. Maybe we're too you know, obsessed with ourselves or something. Okay. Well, I mean, that society doesn't look like one worth living in, it has to be said. Oh, the Cernian future? Yeah. The very poetic shot of everyone moves forward in a line, and as soon as you stop the line, you are shot and, and booted out of line. Yeah, definitely very 1984-inspired, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Suzuha had a wonderful line where she said, you know, here in the past, like, I have friends. I have this much easier, nicer life. I'm used to running for my life and keep sleeping with one eye open and like daily gunplay with Cernian death squads. But <laughs> I still am not at ease here in the present because it's not what I'm used to. It was like a great little encapsulation of PTSD, right? Mm. Where like you get yeah. used to the trauma, you survive, you live yeah. in it. She said it was scary. Yes. So. Uh, like, which, yeah, like it's scary for Okabe to to open up yeah. to people, yeah. to actually, you know, talk to them honestly and not do his phone call bullshit. Well, it does seem natural that Suzuha would be scared because like if someone does have PTSD, once active trauma stops, the anxiety of anticipated trauma kicks in. Yeah. So it's rough. It is rough. Only enough with my place of work. Um, there are there's an aspect of that because there are prisoners who 
um, me working in a prison. There are prisoners who don't want to be released. Like they don't want to go back into society. Mm, they're institutionalized. Yeah, yeah. Like in prison, they get all, like sometimes outside they don't get food, they don't get shelter, and they have that in prison. You Ugh. know, and like that's horrible. Like they should get those things outside of prison, but it's kind of scary when you think about it. It is. Yeah, because all those social safety nets have been cut. Yeah, it's there's just no guarantees anymore. Yeah. Um, it's it's a a case of the devil you know, right? Like Okabe yeah. is used yeah. to taking control of things, and he's used to calling the shots. And he maybe he I think he needs to continually learn to let other people in, to let them help him, and to collaborate on things rather than making decisions on his own. And that's and, really so. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I was sort of skimming, so I might have missed it. But I, I heard you guys saying, you know, sort of at the end of the episode, he doesn't let them in. He like regresses. What? So what specifically is the thing that he doesn't do, like at the end of this episode, that he should have done? Uh, Daru fixes the uh, time machine. They send her back, and then it doesn't work. It doesn't get them the IBN fifty one hundred, and so Okabe he uses the D mail again to stop himself from stopping her from leaving that night. Mm. Uh, but that also erases all of this, this moment with Daru and this extra mm -hmm. time she got to spend with everyone. And the mistake he makes, I think, is that, like, I think he ultimately has to make that change. But right before he does it, Mayor, the, the whole FGL, but Mayori specifically, is saying, like, Okabe, don't, don't shut us out. Don't you know, shut down here. Yeah. And they see him at the computer and they're all like, hey, what are you about to do? Like, come on, yeah. please talk to us. And he regresses. He doesn't talk to them. He instead takes it all on himself. And he says, no, 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 no. It's too painful. It's too great. I can't share it with anyone. I have to make this decision. And so he sent yeah, it. Yeah, it should have been a group decision. Yeah, exactly. And whether the group will come up with the right decision or not, I I just think that is going to be the lesson that Okabe needs to learn again and again is to trust each other, you know, mm -hmm. find your friends and trust that they have your best interests at heart too. And that again, you don't want your friends to worry, you know, yeah. especially if it comes to nothing, but like we need to trust each other. If they worry, they worry. Yeah. That's an expression of their love. Mm -hmm. And like Okabe was stuck in a terrible cycle until he let Makise and Suzuha in. Exactly. And I think he's going to avoid a lot of grief in the rest of his journey by letting people in. Because instead of finding a new snag in the line and trying to fix it over and over and over and over and over, and then finally giving up and letting someone in, he can avoid a lot of cycles of trauma to himself by letting other people in before he starts up that Groundhog Day next time. Yeah. So Alex, I think the takeaway is like, Ben needs to tell us the hard truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's true. That's, that's the hard truth. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Make of that what you will. I feel let in. I feel let in. So. <laughs> uh, but I think Ben was the one who brought up uh, in a previous episode that memory, we remember things not as they are, but as they make sense, kind uh, of. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and so I think that is maybe we didn't codify it as a theme or a hard truth of the the this story, um, Steinsgate, but I think that is a big lesson here is that our memories, and we just discussed this, you know, Izzy had some great points about it, but our memories are a story. They're not a, a computer generated record of things that happened. Like they're our brain making sense of things. Mm. Have we seen Okabe make mistakes based on him misremembering stuff? Oh, I don't know. Stuff? I'm trying to remember. Well, when he was trying to save uh, Maori, he kept overlooking like small yeah, things. He, he like forgot stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, any last thoughts on these episodes or the series thus far? Uh, uh, and if not, I can bully Izzy for a second. I just thought it was kind of sad and melancholy, you know, like Suzuha goes back with a working time machine now and maybe she succeeded, but uh, I guess they didn't reveal that yet, but she doesn't list. She goes back 10 years and in both uh, situations, she doesn't live long enough to see them again. Correct. But she lives a life. She does. She lives a life of what she takes to be freedom yeah. because she's not under this Cernian yeah. dystopia. She lives in a blissful age that without the time machine, she never would have seen. Mm -hmm. So there's a tragedy, but there's also a miracle to Suzuha's journey, you know, and she has very meaningful relationships with people. Braun, she doesn't know, he doesn't know that she's the same person that he employed in his shop for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. But like, his life is completely changed by her. Although I do think that she burned down his house <laughs> so that their lives had to become entangled. Yeah. But nevertheless, like it would have been nice if she lived 11 years and got to have a reunion. It would have been nice. So that makes me feel like fate is a cold hearted bitch. Yeah, it seems to be. Just let them have their reunion. What would it have cost <laughs> anything? And think about like how precious that would have been. Like, so she would have been 10 years older. I don't know how old she was when she was hanging out with them. She looked like a kid. Well, if it's any consolation, I think in the time that she had from 1975 to 2000 or whatever it was, yeah. the time she lived, I bet she thought a lot about her time with the FGL. Yeah. And I bet she pieced together that maybe Daru was her father. Oh, yeah. So maybe Daru doesn't directly know right now, but I think Suzuha knows that she met her dad, Beryl Teeter. Yeah. So like Ben said about memories, maybe that's not what really happened, but that's what makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I, like, what makes sense. I like the narrative that makes sense. Now, now I feel like I'm in denial. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I think this this show has a, a lesson that we all must uh, remember, even if we've already learned it once. Uh, Izzy, if people are enjoying Steins Gate, is there anything that you could recommend to them? Something about time travel or something that tastes similar or even a particularly prescient arc uh, of uh, Doctor Who? Um, well, I was just going to say, well, I've watched Doctor Who, you know, it's time. <laughs> I think the only like Doctor Who's probably the only thing like time travelly that I really watched, to be honest. Okay. Or have read or have it's a bit boring really. <laughs> What's your favorite story arc from Doctor Who? Oh I'm I'm still very fond of like the first season of mm -hmm. of New Who. Eccleston? Yeah, Christopher Eccleston. I would have loved to have seen more of Christopher Eccleston. But I think there's some really good episodes there. 
And the, the next se- couple of seasons after that, there's some really, really standout episodes. Because you've got Blink. Blink in there is really good. Blink's, mm. um, you know, the Weeping Angels. Mm-hmm. And that's a really great standalone story. I seem to recall a conversation where you were saying, like, the Doctor's wife was the one that got you the most. That's, yeah, that's one of my one of my most favorite episodes. Yeah. That's Neil Gaiman who wrote that. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting because that episode has less to do with like sci-fi and time travel and more to do with relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's also very melancholy. Yeah. Very melancholy, but also I'd say maybe bittersweet Mm. is maybe how I'd I'd, uh, describe Mm. it, but I, I do love it. And it's, it really expands on time Lord law, like in very subtle ways, Mm. which I really enjoy. I love when they do. So if you've not seen that one, I highly recommend it. Do you think it's one just as a standalone episode, non-Hoovians would be able to enjoy? I think you can, even though it has a lot of payoff if you are a fan of Doctor mm-hmm. Who. Um, but like as a standalone story, you can infer the meaning of things just by watching it. Like I think you can tell because it revolves around the TARDIS, basically. You can you can tell that's the machine that the doctor uses. Mm-hmm. This is about that machine, essentially. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and is there anything you want to plug or shout out? Um, the destruction of capitalism. <laughs> like, awesome. I'd like to shout out about that. Cheers. It's to a that. great call. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right. All right I'll Alexa, whenever you're ready. Off. Ten. Ten. Pals. Ten. 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 Ten.